Episode number 23. I'm being interviewed by a student at Yale University about the job description of a nightclub bouncer. This is the Crime School Radio Show, where industry experts discuss the business of fighting crime and prevention strategies for making places safe. Leading today's discussion is security expert, Chris McGoey. Welcome to Crime School. Today I'm speaking to a student from Yale University. I'm always happy to work with students about research or papers. He's writing an article for the Politic newspaper. It's a university newspaper that is widely read and he asked me some fairly pointed questions. So I want to let you listen in on the interview. Okay, Declan Kunkel. Yeah. And you're you're associated with Yale University. Yeah, that's correct. And you're writing an article for The Politic. It's a uh, local university newspaper, is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, fire away. All right, so my first question is, what would you consider to be the fundamental job description of a bouncer or security person? It's a job description that could be defined by the employer. No two are the same. Typically, the security people perform several functions. One common function is at the door, and so the job is more like a doorman, and their job is to screen people before coming into the club, most required by law to limit access to those 21 years of age or older. So they're, they're ID checking. So part of the ID right. checking process is not just verifying age, but also verifying that the person who presents the ID is the person represented by the ID. In other words, it's not a fake ID. It's not their brother's yes. ID. The other issue might be dress code. Uh, some clubs uh, have dress codes to try to class up the place a little bit. And another way of screaming out uh, maybe gang- gangsters that might want to come in that are showing colors or in some yeah. places, uh, motorcycle clubs, uh, anything that would be considered offensive, maybe a, a T-shirt that has an offensive picture on it or offensive wording that might give rise right. to a fight or some disturbance. So, so there's a screaming process at the door. A third job is, yeah. is that they want to to ban people that are obviously intoxicated. Especially in cities, people are known to hop from club to club, as you can imagine. And most of the liquor licensing laws uh, prohibit a a club from serving an obviously intoxicated person. So no better place to do it than at the door. I find in most nightclubs, especially urban nightclubs, that the doorman is also the person in charge of controlling conduct out on the street. In a busy club where there's a line formed outside, they have to maintain order out there. And it also gives them a chance to observe the conduct of these patrons before they come inside. Kind of see, are they already overly intoxicated? Are they obnoxious? Are they loud? Are they drinking in line? Do you see them using drugs? Something that would tell you that we're not going to let this person inside. 
It's also helpful if the doorman knows who's been ejected before, if they've been banned from the club, simply not to let troublemakers back in. That's almost a no-brainer. Another job of a, of a doorman is uh, they might have to search for weapons. They might have metal detectors, handheld wands. They might do pat-downs of, of the pockets and waistband of males. They might search the handbags of females. Again, looking for weapons or contraband. And contraband might be someone sneaking in alcohol or drugs that you certainly don't want inside the club. The other description might be somebody controlling access through other doors. So they could be front door, side door, back door, fire door, keeping people from sneaking in. And again, it's usually minors. Also making sure the doors are not obstructed. There's no barriers in the way. Case of fire or some disturbance, they want people to be able to get out. So their function might be to keep those other auxiliary entrances and exits uh, clear and, and operating. Their job might be to monitor patron behavior. And typical behaviors are to watch for people that are getting overly intoxicated, might be okay. becoming obnoxious. They might start becoming bothersome to other patrons, might be overly aggressive towards other males or, or females that, that are in the bar and generally start causing a disturbance. So well-trained nightclub security people or bouncers will look for changes in behavior. They'll look for the over-aggressive customer, maybe the power drinkers who are getting, Mm -hmm. you know, too intoxicated. And their their job is to approach them and start enforcing club rules. And, And those rules will be all of the above, just to make sure that people behave themselves, don't bother people, don't cause trouble, don't get in the fights, don't get too intoxicated. So if they do all those things correctly, the club should operate throughout the night, night after night, without problem, without fanfare, without incident. Thank you. Um, So the next question I have is, how do you train, is there an industry standard to training a bouncer to operate safely? Um, Because in some of our interviews, with um, people who go to nightclubs, we did a, um, a study on that. A lot of people thought of bouncers as, you know, big, big men who stand in the corner and forcibly remove people with varying degrees of training and, you know, they could possibly hurt someone. It, it becomes kind of a gray area. So we were curious if there's um, any kind of industry standard in terms of personal safety training or anything along those lines. It's, it's a yes or no answer to your question. The, the majority answer is no. There is no, quote, industry standard. An industry standard applies that there is some regulation or some legislation that mandates certain training requirements for all establishments. And that's just not the case. Now, some cities or some counties might have local regulations. They might have local ordinances, local laws, Sometimes some liquor licensing agencies put conditions on licenses and they might require that security personnel or bouncers have certain minimum hours of training or certain certifications or attend a responsible service of alcohol class. So to that extent, there could be local standards, but not a universal one. Okay, very nice. Thank you um, for that. So... Um, a question that we also had is, um, well, we interviewed a bunch of bouncers at some clubs in New York, and they said that the, the hardest part of their job is delineating the line between someone who's there to make sure everyone's having a good time versus someone who's making sure the club is safe. 
Um, as a security expert, when you go in and, and look at a club and give evaluations, how do you draw the line of what a bouncer is supposed to do when dealing with um, an aggressive client versus versus making not making a scene? Let me back up and, and sort of give a further answer to your previous question of, about bouncers and about the perception of bouncers. First of all, if a nightclub is hiring these big, burly guys with no necks, big, muscular guys, and, and their job is to just forcibly grab people and throw them out of the club, then the club is doing it wrong. That's not what the job uh, should be, and that's not the, the thing that's in the best interest of the club or the patron, uh, for that matter. That's why the big, burly scenario doesn't, isn't really or shouldn't be your first priority. Some of the best security people and best bouncers I've seen are women or individuals that are small in stature. Their job should be, and, and they should have the training to allow them, they should be professional observers. And working night after night, thousands of hours after a while, you get to know pretty well who your typical customer is, how your typical customer acts when they first arrive at the club, and then how the typical customer behaves once they start getting liquored up. And there's, you know, there's patterns after a while. There are some individuals that just tend to get angry. They tend to get aggressive. Most of the customers are, are like old like me. We just get tired and sleepy and we're, we're pretty passive. But they have to note the changes of the behavior. And a properly run and managed club should have a set of rules and they should have certain thresholds. Now, there's no exact guideline. There's no line to be drawn as you posed in your last question. There's not an exact threshold that once you cross it because it's kind of a sliding scale. Mm -hmm. And it depends if it's the first time they've approached that line, the second or the third, or, or, and then what's being done or what's being said. If you operate a club for a while, you'll see that there's a norm. You'll find that most people behave themselves in a certain way. Most people, when you approach them early and you start reminding them that you know, you're getting a little loud, you're moving around too much, you're a little too touchy-feely, you're staring at somebody, whatever your behavior is, it's just not appropriate. And you ask them to stop. Most people will stop. And it might take a reminder or two, but you can manage and handle most patrons that way. You could certainly cut off service of alcohol to them at any time. It's not mandatory that you keep plying them with drinks. So it's, right. a, it's one of those intangible things, but professionals that are really good at their job observe behavior. Now, let's say there's a room in any club. Let's say there's a room and there's 50 people, a mix of uh, male and female, different ages, but there's 50 okay. people. Of those 50, you're only talking about 1% or less are mm -hmm. going to be subject to really reminders about their behavior. Most people are going to behave themselves. Most people are not going to overdrink. So you only have just a couple of people in a room that you really have to concern yourself about. So it's a pretty simple matter for a security person or a bouncer focusing on who's the problem child or who's likely to be that. And once mm -hmm. you watch that person closely, then it's a combination. It's kind of a team effort between the bouncer, the server, and the bartender to dial these people in. Most okay. of the troublemakers are going to be men, sometimes women, but mostly men. And you just start moving it a little closer, sometimes just standing in closer proximity, sometimes just giving them the eye, you know, or the nod, right. and they kind of get the message, or maybe a word or two, and you can handle it perfectly well. The clubs that get out of control, the stories you read in the paper or see on the news about the wild brawls and stuff, 
These are clubs that don't do any of that. They just keep pouring drinks down people until they get stupid drunk. The signs have been there for a long time, for minutes, hours, about them being loud, obnoxious, and aggressive. And nobody does anything about it because they want to keep selling drinks. Thank you so much for that. Um, so my next question would be, it's, it's about liability. To what degree, in your opinion, is the nightclub liable for acts committed on a patron by bouncers in that, in, if someone has to be removed? And then is the nightclub liable if a fight breaks out and they do not stop it in time? Let me see if I understand your question. Your question is about liability of a bouncer laying hands on a customer. Is that part one? Yes, that's part one of the question. Okay, and then the other one is about a fight, whether they have a, a duty or an obligation to, to stop a fight. Perfect. Yes, sir, perfect. Okay, uh, let me answer the liability question. It depends on the state. The laws vary from state to state. I understand you're representing one state. So that state will sort of dictate what the responsibilities are. What establishes liability civil liability we're talking about are first and foremost regulations, laws and regulations. So is there some statute, some code, some ordinance, some conditional use permit that the club is required to abide by? And it could also be the liquor licensing agency might have conditions attached to their liquor license saying that the club has to act in a certain manner. And that has to do with not over-serving an obviously intoxicated person. If someone is observed to be intoxicated, they have to be removed from the club immediately. They can't continue to serve them. So things like that might guide them as to what they should do. Typically, if you see someone who's drunk in your club, you don't call the police. That's just, right. not, that's just not their practice. That's why they hire internal security people or bouncers. In lieu of calling the police, because someone just being drunk, if they're not bothering anybody, it's not really a crime but they're your customer. You want them to get home safely. But while they're drunk and if they're acting inappropriately or obnoxious or aggressive, you don't want them to injure anyone. So you still have a responsibility to the rest of your patrons and your employees not to let some drunk get wild and, and injure someone. So you have to remove him, separate him. I'm, I'm talking the male gender here. You have to remove that threat from the rest of your patrons and your employees. And they usually do that by asking them to leave. So there's a, th there's a step, multi-step process here. Most people, if you've been managing them throughout the night and you've warned them a few times, if you now ask them to leave, most will simply leave. They might mouth off a little bit. They might call you, call you a few choice names on the way out, but usually they'll leave. If they refuse to leave, you remind them, if you refuse to leave, you're going to call the police and the police are going to come and they're going to ask you to leave. And if you refuse right. to them to leave, then they're going to probably put you under, under arrest. Mm -hmm. So that's what you do. So you ask them to leave. If they refuse to leave, you call the police and let the police do their job because you can't continue to serve an obnoxious person. You can't allow someone in your club to remain if they're threatening or, or now become dangerous potentially to someone else. Where the clubs go wrong is when they mm -hmm. skip the step about calling the police for bad customer removal, they rely on their bouncers to physically remove people. And that's where most of them get in trouble, is that the, the security people or bouncers may not be well equipped. They may not have the right demeanor. They may not have mm -hmm. the right amount of training of how to escort someone safely from the club without causing a disturbance or a fight. Right. 
Going back to the other part of your question, do they have a responsibility to remove or prevent fights? I think to the degree that you can, some fights, the first evidence of a fight is someone punching someone in the face. Mm -hmm. So if you had no notice, no warning that a fight was going to occur, you really can't prevent it. All you could do is try to mitigate it by breaking it up or separating uh, the parties. And again, it goes back to training. How well trained are the bouncers? And if you have an adequate number of staff, if you have a security person or bouncer assigned to, let's say, a room and there's 50 people there, that bouncer could mm-hmm. easily, easily see all 50 people. And just using all of his senses, his sight and especially sound, he should be able to ascertain when something starts to ramp up. Most fights don't start out as just a blow. They start out as an escalation of an argument or pushing or shoving or posturing. Right. So, so hopefully if you have someone in the area, in the room, paying attention and trained, they should be able to move very, in very quickly. And the best trained security people or bouncers, including those small in stature and women, can de-escalate mm-hmm. a situation just by getting a cool head in between or getting people separated enough where they don't have that physical proximity any longer, and things will mm-hmm. de-escalate. So the opposite is true. If you don't have that type of staff with that kind of training, fights are going to happen. And when fights happen, then people get injured. So does the club have a duty to, to stop the fight? Well, it depends on the state. The state is going to have different common law addressing that about your duties of a club to break up that fight. Most of the states in the United States have such language in their, in their common law that if you are running a club that has a history of fights, that creates a duty for you to put systems in place to prevent people from fighting. Okay. So my last question is um, about a club. So say a club has a really bad reputation. They're losing customers. People don't want to go. They think it's a dangerous place. Is there anything that the club owners can do, or is it usually um, too late by the point that a club has a bad reputation? You know, that's one of the better questions I ever get asked. 31 years ago, when I started my business, my first clients were nightclubs dealing with exactly that issue, that they're on the verge of losing their license, their license being suspended or revoked because of disorderly Mm -hmm. conduct, because of fights, because of shootings or stabbings or some such things, and the local municipality wants to shut them down. The police are tired to responding to calls for service to the same club, so they'll put pressure on the liquor licensing agency to revoke their license. So what do you do after you're that deep in the weeds? Can you recover? And the answer is yes, but it's a, it's a hard process. You have to change completely the nature of the premises. Whatever that club was doing before that caused all this disturbance, all this ruckus, all these problems, that was the nature of the premises that this club evolved into for a lot of reasons. Most of it has to do with bad management. The owners and the managers are just poor. They're in business to sell as many drinks as possible, to widely market the club. Usually they have entertainment, you know, live music and dancing. They overcrowd a club, and they create conditions that are conducive to fights, disruptive activity, criminal activity. And then when they have incidents, they don't cure it. They don't learn their lessons. So when the clubs that I get involved in, some of these really bad ones, I meet with them and I have to go through a process of literally changing the nature of the premises. 
And the only way you wow. can convince the government to allow you to stay in business is to essentially apologize. Say, yeah, we've, we recognize the error of our ways. We want to run a better club, a safer club, an orderly club. And these are all the things that we're going to do going forward to, make, to assure you that that's going to happen. So they'll hire me to come in. I will do an evaluation of the operation. I will do an evaluation of the prior calls for service, the prior incidents. I will interview staff. Mm -hmm. I'll interview the bouncers, the security people. Try to get everyone's perspective about why the reputation of this club is the way that it is. And why do they have so many prior incidents? And why is there so many cases of disorderly conduct on this property? And it's usually right there. The writing's on the wall. It's uh, reading uh, incident reports. I, I could judge pretty quickly what the source of the, of the issue is. And it's just a matter of convincing the owners or the manager of the club to make changes. Now, sometimes it's mm -hmm. radical. Sometimes they have to change the format. I hate to pick on hip-hop, but if it's a hip-hop club and they have uh, the music blaring and they're advertising on social media, they're drawing people in from 50 miles around, or if they have an all-age club where they're letting people in under 21. I mean, just you're overcrowding. You have a, a capacity of maybe 500 people, and you're constantly bringing in 800 people. Uh, right. You're not monitoring uh, the service of alcohol. You don't have a dress code. Uh, you don't have a, a policy of screening people that are already intoxicated before they come in. It's a whole bunch of things. So sometimes mm -hmm. you have to change the demographic. You have to change the music format, instead of having hip hop, you take away the live band, maybe you have a DJ, and maybe the DJ plays uh, a different type of music that will attract a different crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one way of dialing it in. Uh, sending all of your servers through responsible service of alcohol training, that's almost mandatory, to make sure that everybody understands their job is to not overserve people, and how to go right. about doing that. We almost end up having to clear house on the bouncers because the reason why the oh, property's wow. out of control is because they have a bunch of thugs in there. And the bouncers mm -hmm. didn't know what their job was. They thought their job was to get involved in fights, and they like to fight, and they, they like to drag people outside physically and abuse people. You often end up cleaning house, and you make sure that the new staff is probably greater in number, have more training, they have more experience. And once they have a job description and they have a full training program to control patron conduct, combination of all of those things, guess what? The club now becomes back in control. Now, to eliminate the source of a lot of problems involving excessive force by security people or bouncers is to have good policies and procedures for hiring, training, and supervision. It's really important to hire those for that job function who have the right demeanor. That's why the largest and strongest person isn't always the best choice. You want someone who can understand the club policies, understand the laws, the over-service, be good observers of people, and be able to talk to people. The best bouncers don't bounce anyone. They talk to people. They intervene early. They have personalities. And they're able to convince people to control their behavior or should they have to ask them to leave, they could do it in a nice way because they want them back again as a customer. So simply by asking them to behave or asking them to leave for the night, more likely to get compliance. One thing that I find is not widely known, especially in the, the clubs with the worst reputations, 
is that the bouncers don't realize that they're not law enforcement people. They're just private citizens. And they're not able to lay hands on people without justification. Now, typically, the only two justifications are that you're using self-defense. There's an immediate threat, physical threat against you, and you're defending yourself. Or you're physically taking someone in the custody for the police for a crime that just occurred in your presence. That's the rule of law in most jurisdictions. So to say that a bouncer can enforce a club rule, meaning that someone has become overly drunk and obnoxious, and to believe that if they refuse to leave that you could lay hands on them, put them in some kind of a wrist lock or a headlock or some kind of wrestling hold and drag them out of the club and throw them out on the street. I'm here to tell you that's not supported by law in most jurisdictions. You're being the aggressor and not taking a defensive tactic. So that's where the hiring process would help screen out those thugs who like to fight. The training process and supervision will let you know, are they accepting the training? Are they incorporating it into the job? And they're doing it properly. That's all the questions that I had for you today. Thank you very much uh, for uh, speaking with me. I'd love to send you a copy of the article uh, and the publication when we're done with it. I would like that. I hope you get an A on the article if you're graded as such. I really appreciate all your help. Have a nice afternoon. Take care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I try to present a variety of educational topics, but keeping with the theme of making places safe for people and property. The subject matter of Crime School is influenced by your feedback, so I encourage you to tell me about your ideas for future discussion. I'm always looking for a guest. If you have a particular crime or loss prevention expertise, you have a special legal background about liability, you have an interesting crime prevention product to review, or if you're a crime victim with a motivating story and outcome to share, I want to talk to you. Now, I'm not very active on social media. I'm old. What could I say? I don't quite get it, but I'm trying to learn. Meanwhile, I appreciate those who are active in social media to share these episodes to attract others who may want to learn and benefit from this content. In fact, if you have an iTunes account and you want to help others find Crime School, please leave us a five-star rating and review. That will really help us be discovered. I invite you to join the Crime School community. We're all like-minded people. You could provide your email address on any web page, any opt-in form on the Crime School website. In this way, you'll receive immediate notification of any new audio or video episodes published, or any special events for that matter. Thank you for participating in Crime School and for doing your part in making places safe. This is the Crime School Radio Show with your host, Chris McGoey. We invite you to comment on today's topic and join the Crime School community. For more information and show notes from this episode, please visit crimeschool.com.